Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Action Replay on DCUFM. We are live right now on Twitch, twitch.tv slash DCUFM. DCUFM Sport on Twitter and Instagram. You can see it on the screen right there. And if you've missed any of our previous episodes, search DCUFM on Spotify. You can find our entire back catalogue as well as everything else that goes up on DCUFM. And before we get started, I just want to make a bit of an announcement. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, this, Not this Friday, but next Friday is the DCUFM 12-hour broadcast. That'll be live right here on twitch.tv slash DCUFM. And I'm um, delighted to say that Action Replay has a place on that schedule, but we won't be alone because we'll be joining our friends at Offside Opinions for a special crossover episode. You can check out all of Offside Opinions as well on Spotify. Just search Offside Opinions. Uh, Paul Morgan, you've heard him on the show before. He's one of the crew, along with Niall Walsh and a couple of other lads as well. So we'll be joining them. We'll just be shooting the breeze for an hour. Hope you can tune into that. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a big charity drive as well. Um, stay tuned for more on the charity on next week's show. But um, we got a very, very, very special guest on today because he is not only a, uh, a former contributor to Action Replay, he ran the entirety of DCUFM. In fact, he ran the entirety of the DCU Media Production Society under which the DCUFM falls, falls under that umbrella, I should say. And he currently hosts the F1 podcast Formula Stank. Not sure where you came up with that name, but it's intriguing enough. I followed the Instagram page. Dylan Mangan, welcome back to Action Replay. Oh man, it's been it's been a long time since since I heard that. That's fantastic. Uh, it feels good to to hear. Welcome back to Action Replay again. Uh, of course, been a been a while since I've been on here. One of my highlights uh, of first year was coming on this show on a weekly basis with the good old Alex Stone and Gavin Quinn, and uh, just just shooting shooting the breeze with them. Uh, good to be back. It's just such such nostalgic times, and we won't. We won't think too much about how far back that's been. Let's not depress ourselves. Let's just get on to the the big reason why you're here. You're here to talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, Premier League, Champions League, uh, the the ban of the Dublin manager for naughty, naughty COVID-related things. But the documentary that's been taken Netflix by storm this week, it seems to be, there's a different one every week. But this week, it's Formula One Drive to Survive. And... As a F1 enthusiast yourself, to the point that you have your own podcast, Formula Stank, go find it. I imagine this is um, very, very exciting for you, that you're, the sport of your dreams is finally getting a bit of mainstream love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the thing that Drive Survive does so well, so it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic production. It's into its third season now on uh, Netflix, as you mentioned. Um, the thing that it does so well is it, it creates a kind of story and a narrative that the average sports fan, or even those who aren't interested in sports, can get involved with and get behind. So it breaks it down on a very kind of approachable level because in a lot of ways, Formula One is a very complicated sport. It's um, often seen as a kind of rich old boys sport. Um, it's often seen as a tech nerd sport because you have to understand all the working parts, the, the car and the racing and the aerodynamics and what goes on. Oh, it's so confusing. But if you just break it down at a very simple level, which Drive to Five does, it's about just human beings getting in and pushing speed to its very limit. Um, and I think the thing 
that Drive to Survive does so well is it creates kind of characters out of these drivers. So it almost makes it like a TV show, like a, like a like a movie where you're watching these characters go all the way through. You have your main character, you even have villains in some cases. Um, sometimes those villains are drivers, and it makes it all very very easy to follow. So yeah, I'm I'm incredibly excited for uh for Drive to Survive to be receiving the kind of level of acclaim that it has so far since it's come out. You know, I've seen people I never have even noticed watch sport before at all uh, put up screenshots of them watching drive survive on their instagram stories i've had people who have no idea about formula one who would have never have spoken about it before uh, saying oh hey i watched that new documentary series and uh, it was really really good so it is creating a, a whole new fan base uh, for formula one and, and it's doing it very very well and um, it's a really well-made production and um, obviously going to say this a few times as we go on and talk about it a little bit more but if you haven't watched it already please go watch it it's it's absolutely fantastic and uh yeah it's 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 an exciting time for for old formula one fans because of the influx of new formula one fans that we're getting off the back of this documentary it's it says something about how popular this documentary is my mom has been watching it and when my mom watches any sort of sport you know it's 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 really broken through she um she used to rave about Mr. Messi. That's how you knew she was into soccer. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it is. Um, I, I think it's pretty pretty good validation for, like you said, F one fans to be having this sort of mainstream exposure. The last thing I saw as well was um, the movie Rush from twenty thirteen, starring um, Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Bruhl. That that dealt with the the rivalry in the 1970s between James Hunt and Nicky Lauda, that was kind of the rivalry that defined Formula One in that time. Um, it's a very good movie. I think it, it, cover, it covers F1 very well. But in, in, that was in the 1970s. This is now. And it, it, seem, it seems like a very simple sport. I mean, I, when I first saw F1, I just thought, what's the, what's the unique appeal of this? They just drive in circles for an hour and a half. But... I think, like you said, what Drive to Survive does well is that um, it, it breaks down the complexities of the sport very well in a way that most casual viewers wouldn't really be able to understand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it is it is a complex sport in many ways. Um, but for, for me, I enjoy the really simple elements of it. You know, every every single weekend, whenever I say perhaps to my girlfriend that I'm going to watch the race or one of my mates that I'm going to watch the race, I just kind of go, oh yeah, the cars are going to go vroom this weekend, which is the simplest way of looking at it. It's just cars going around in circles, as he said. And there are a lot of things to pay attention to, a lot of details to pay attention to in the background. And when you come into a sport like Formula One, if you you make the decision to yourself, I want to get interested in Formula One, there's so much to it that it's often a really difficult thing to know where to start. And I think what Drive to Survive does well is it kind of gives you that starting point. It goes, okay, right, episode one, season one, here's Daniel Ricciardo. Here's everything about Dan and Ricardo. Off the back of that, you watch the rest of the series. You know everything about everyone. You have a great starting point to go into maybe even the 2021 season and know a bit more about the drivers and the teams. And you kind of make your your assumptions and your uh, judgments of certain teams based off this series. Um, Not a lot of other sports have that. If you wanted to get into football for the first time, if you're in a part of the world where football isn't a big thing, you don't have any particular series that you can go to and go, oh, well, this will get me a whole knowledge of the sport, every single thing that I need to know based off this one series. There's there's nothing really like that. And I think that's a great thing that Formula One definitely needed as well. And um, it's funny you mentioned your mom watching it and, and and that's how you know it's a big deal. For me, I knew it was a big deal 
because my mom watched it as well, but for the opposite reason in that she's such a diehard Formula One fan that it, as soon as she started watching it, that for me really made the impact of it hit home because I knew at that point, not only has it gotten the casual fans on board, not only has it gotten, you know, a whole bunch of raking new fans on board, but it's also gotten the diehard fans on board now as well, which is a really cool thing. You know, people like my mom who've been watching the sport for 40 years are now going and watching this documentary and having a whole new appreciation for a whole bunch of diff- different aspects of the sport as well. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's impact it is, is I think we're, we're reveling in it at the minute. And, um, you know, you're even seeing a whole new younger generation of fans coming in off the back of this documentary. And, um, you know, you see these uh, Twitter accounts and, 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 and Stan accounts for drivers now, which you never would have seen five or 10 years ago because it, it was seen as a very exclusive sport. Um, and I think it's really cool that, you know, you're opening it up to this kind of new world of diversity uh, that F1 definitely needs and, and this new generation as well that it 100% needs. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's doing a fantastic job. Yeah, like you said, I think the biggest thing that it does is it makes it, it forms personal bonds between you and the drivers. And I think that's what's needed, not just in in sport, but in kind of any form of entertainment when, for example, I I flipped on the baseball last night and I just thought sat back and thought, oh, it's the Minnesota Twins and the Detroit Tigers. That's fine. But I didn't have that kind of emotional connection with it. I think we've seen it in other sports documentaries that like the Sunderland documentary on Netflix or some of the ones on Amazon Prime is that you get to know these players and you for you 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 have that emotional investment in it and that sets it up sets it apart from just sitting back and watching you want to see these guys succeed but uh i just want to finish the formula one chat with a more with a more general question because obviously lewis hamilton's the top guy right now and i for some reason i still remember him i see him as this um young kid bursting on the scene back in i don't know what it was 2008 but he's, he's certainly not a young kid anymore Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought his um, he was one of the first people in F1 saying we need to we need to stop because this COVID stuff is no joke, mm-hmm. um, which which shows a, a, re- a real sense of leadership, which is is completely admirable. And last season, the season did eventually happen last season, and he as he had many times before, he finished the season on top, securing uh, his seventh world title uh, tying with Michael Schumacher. And I, there were there were greatest of all time discussions around Lewis Hamilton before this. I was certainly aware of that, but from my limited vantage point, the only way I could see him as one of the goats was when he um, when he tied that record. And of, of course, this season he'll be looking to break it. So, mm-hmm. where does Lewis Hamilton stand in the all time great conversation now? Where did he before? And what will he be in the future? Should he go on to break this record? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the conversation. This is the the big question, and it's a, a big cause of debate. And um, you know, I myself like have been outspoken, whether it be on the podcast, that I don't ever enjoy seeing Lewis win a race. It's just not something I I, I get enjoyment out of. I'm a Michael Schumacher fan. You know, Schumi was. I always say, and I mentioned on the podcast that growing up, I never called my grandparents Nana and Granddad more. I called them Nana and Granddad Shumi because in my head, they were the Ferrari house that I'd go to and, and visit every weekend. 
Um, so that has always been a huge part of my life. So to see someone come in and, and break Schumacher's records and, and do such a good job at, at it is, is never something I find great enjoyment out of. But I feel like as well, at the same time, what I hope I get across when I speak about Lewis Hamilton is the utter respect that I have for him. I think when it comes to conversation, he is 100%, like in my mind, probably the greatest of all time. For a lot of people, there's the conversation of, oh, well, he, you put anyone into that Mercedes. Even drivers on the grid have said, you put anyone into that Mercedes car and he's going to win every single time uh, as well as Lewis Hamilton. You know, it's the car. It's all the car. I think the best example to show and um, you know how strong of a driver Lewis is and what sets him apart from other people came in the last race the very first race of this 2021 season in which you know he was battling Max Verstappen all the way through the last five five laps and in that battle you really saw you know his technical ability as a driver come true you really saw you know when it comes down to it and when there there needs to be that kind of friction happening on the track Lewis is the guy you want in your car every single time sure you anyone into that Mercedes and they might drive quicker but when it comes to that actual battling as well will they compete in the same way as Lewis probably not I think it's really hard as well a lot of the time to talk about the greatest of all time conversation particularly in Formula One because the sport is constantly changing you know the cars are constantly changing and um, for me when I talk about Schumacher being the greatest of all time I take into account you know the fact that okay the grid wasn't as competitive when when Schumacher was uh you know Ferrari was more dominant you know the the cars were built different he really had to put in an extra hard graft into making that car as quick as he could make it you know same with Senna same with same with Niki Lauda like Senna changing the way that drivers even thought about attacking a corner attacking a track and um, attacking racing in general it, that's that's what people take into account when they talk about Senna being the greatest of all time it's it's so hard to determine uh, as an F1 fan who the greatest of all time is because the sport is constantly changing uh, is Lewis the best of this era 100% should he be considered in the conversation for greatest of all time in general yeah 100% and I think you're lying to yourself if you say that he's not at least up there with Schumacher and Lauda and Senna because the guy has all the stats to prove and i'm definitely showing my bias there towards ferrari and mclaren by by naming simply just ferrari and mclaren drivers as the greatest of all time but yeah 100 lewis is up there and i think this season for him it, it, he signed on a one-year extension and he did that for a very specific reason and it's to silence everyone who who has said that he isn't the greatest of all time he will do this year he will win his eighth title he'll win the eighth constructor championship at mercedes uh, he'll smash every record there is to be smashed and then he will call it a day because that is what he has set out to do. Um, and I hope at that point people finally realise how how strong of a, of a sportsman Lewis Hamilton really and truly is. Even people like me who don't particularly enjoy seeing him win. Formula Stank is your podcast. You can search on Spotify. You'll find all your episodes there. And uh, thankfully, you, you don't just know about Formula One. I'll be asking you about... Um, a bit of GAA in a second, but I just want to briefly touch on the rugby. Uh, we were Leinster um, didn't get to play this week. They were um, looking to move on from their Pro 12 win the weekend previous and uh, start their European campaign back up with a victory over Toulon. Unfortunately, that was not to be the case. Toulon suffered a uh, positive COVID test, uh, possibly multiple, but in any event, they were forced to pull out of the game. Uh, the victory was awarded to Leinster, and they move on 
to play Exeter. I think that's next week. Munster, not so lucky. A real arm wrestle against Toulouse in beautiful Limerick sunshine. Just an indicator to all of us that, yes, summer is coming. Don't worry about that. Uh, it, it wasn't to be, unfortunately, uh, a, di- a disappointing end to the to the career of CJ Stander, for sure. But that's it's just a reminder, you know, that in sport, you don't always get the fairy tale ending. Um, so we'll we'll touch on that GA news now. Desi Farrell was the big story in the GAA this week. Um, he was uh, issued a 12-week suspension by the GAA uh, as a result of his team breaking uh, COVID lockdown restrictions by uh, engaging in a training session at Inishfail's GAA club. Uh, apparently, this was a, a ground that um, the Dubs had trained in for a while, so it would have been kind of normal to them. And there were there were a few people. Uh, there weren't too many people there, I should say. It was, there were only about nine people there. But the Dubs are the All Ireland champions. They're the six in a row winners, and as such, they're kind of the standard by which um, all GA teams are measured. And they are setting that example and it, it was a really poor example to be set by training in these um, circumstances and uh, Desi Farrell was um, the scapegoat and I, I, probably Dylan the right decision yeah I mean um look like I I think I think we're lying to ourselves uh, if we say that we didn't know that this was probably happening all along and I I think we're lying to ourselves if we say that it's probably not happening in in other counties as well I'd say there have been other instances Uh, but the fact that the dubs this the 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 champions that they are went out of their way to uh, do that in probably the most populated uh, city definitely the most populated city in, in in the country and think that there would be no repercussions for it and that uh, you know, they they had almost this sort of arrogance about them of you know we're we're Dublin we're we're the champions we have we have the right to train um, and and you know they didn't think there would be any repercussions I think you almost have to make an example out of that as as the GAA um, definitely the right decision um, I think maybe even a a, a light uh, tap on the wrist so far as 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 Dublin are concerned in that it was only one one dude got it um, but yeah I, I mean. I, I, there's this stupidity all around uh, in that instance and um, and yeah so yeah i think it as, as i said well deserved but um we'll we'll see how much it affects dublin going forward probably not at all it'll probably breeze through the first few weeks of um of the leinster championship um a big week in in the soccer at both ends of the table um the most intriguing one was the battle for top 4 Chelsea suffering uh, an amazing 5-2 loss to relegation guarantee. I was going to say relegation threatened. They're not relegation threatened. They're relegation guaranteed West Bromwich Albion. Um, Callum Robertson doing really well from an Irish perspective, bagging himself a couple of goals. But West Ham were the team to take advantage of this. They uh, ran it pretty close in the end, but they were 3-2 winners over uh, Wolves last night. Uh, to talk more about this, we're going to bring in someone who hasn't been on the show uh, for a few weeks. Sean Crosby is back on Action Replay. And Crosby, it was it was an interesting weekend for sure. And 
this un- this unlikely West Ham push for top four goes on and takes a massive step forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, it's good to be back as well. By the way, I know it's been a while since I've been on, but um, yeah, definitely. It's I think it's it's safe to say it's certainly a push to take seriously, and like you have to give all the credit to you to David Moyes. I think there's two men in that in that in that club right now who are kind of written off. And funnily enough, they were both written off for the time at Man United, uh, him and Jesse Lingard. And just the work he's done with, the work that Moyes has done with that team is just incredible. And Lingard, he seems to have gotten the, some of the best football out of Jesse Lingard that we've seen for a very long time. Um, as regard to Chelsea, it was, yeah, the West Brom seemed to be a kind of bogey team for them almost. I think it, they, they, they lost in the start of the season as well as the first First defeat, uh, Thomas Tuchel suffered, but that's another manager that's come in and pretty much done wonders with them. Uh, as for that race, for that fourth spot, I still wouldn't write off Chelsea just because of the pedigree in the squad. I think, I think you look at West Ham and like it's an incredible story. Obviously, what's going on? It's a real kind of almost like a ragtag bunch of footballers kind of coming together. But there's just I don't know. There's something about the Chelsea team that I still quite fancy, but it'll definitely be a, a very interesting run in uh, at the end of the season. Looking looking forward, it's going to be a, a massive weekend next week because we've got the reverse fixtures of two of the most ridiculous results of the season. Spurs versus Man United, that game ended last, last uh, what was it, September, I think it was, 6-1 to Spurs. And Liverpool Villa, which even more insane, ended up seven two to Villa, which was was absolute madness. But the Spurs United game is a big one because United won last weekend fairly unconvincingly, at, I would say, uh, against Brighton by two goals to one. But they took advantage of uh, Leicester slipping up by losing to Man City to reestablish their place at the at the, I was going to say top of the table, but it might as well be top of the table because City are streets ahead of everyone at the moment, but uh, further tightening their grip on second place. But this Spurs game is an interesting one because they're not going to forget what happened to them against um, against Spurs last, last time they played them. So that's going to be a big motivator for them. And Spurs will be coming in with something to prove too because they're... They're another team in the hunt for top four, and they'll be looking to take advantage of any sort of slip up from West Ham or Chelsea. Yeah, definitely. It's um like you spoke about, it's kind of the reverse of the fixtures, and it, it seems like the form of both sides is kind of flipped as well. Like I think when Spurs won six one at Old Trafford, there was a lot of talk of kind of Mourinho back to his best, and this lot looked like they can challenge for a title. And now, I mean, if they if they if they can get a European spot, that'll be that'll be a, an accomplishment. But certainly United, yeah, definitely will have uh, be out for blood almost. Um, they were very unconvincing as Brighton. It kind of it's it's a weird thing with United, particularly in uh, kind of the against some of the slightly smaller teams. Um, it, it takes them a while to get motivated. I think. And like you saw that against Brighton, they were they weren't in it at all until that Welbeck goal, and then all of a sudden they turn on the style, and only for as always, it's it's for a couple of individual moments that they can kind of claw out a result. 
but I think there's there's no better no better motivator at all uh, for the United than uh, after that uh, heavy defeat to Spurs last time, and particularly in the big games as well. We've seen this year United seem to to turn up. That seems to be the only thing that can motivate them is kind of playing against a a big side. So it'll definitely be um, an interesting one to watch. And as for Liverpool Villa, I mean they couldn't. It, we couldn't have predicted what Villa would do this season, to be honest. And we probably couldn't have predicted what would happen to Liverpool either. I think it was one of the last games Van Dijk played as well, that Villa uh, defeat. But um, so, and with that as well, it didn't It didn't seem like it It really could be too different from the last time. I, I don't think it'll be a similar result or anything, but uh, the two teams are surprisingly fairly evenly matched. Um, but Liverpool do kind of look slightly more confident I think than in previous games like you saw against Arsenal I know Arsenal aren't really much to write home about this year but they're very kind of in control and stuff and they're still doing it in Europe so I still think they should be slight favourites for that one and uh, we'll see whether Liverpool can finally win a game at Anfield I thought that their, their win against Arsenal at the weekend was very very impressive particularly considering their previous form it felt like the international break was a chance for them to reset and recharge. Um, but I think the, the game of the weekend is another one that's going to have big implications for uh, for the top four. And it's West. It's third versus fourth. It's West Ham versus Leicester. Or uh, Leicester versus West Ham, I should say. Third and fourth. At Upton Park. Um, and I don't think... I think the best way for West Ham to consolidate their um, their their spot in top in in fourth place, if they, if they chase down third place and beating Leicester, Crosby would be a great way for them to do that. Yeah, definitely, it'd be um, it'd be a huge kind of statement for them, really. Um, like you said, third versus fourth is only was four points between the two sides. Um, it's it's hard to know at Leicester as well. I think I think. There was a lot made of them, rightly so. There was a lot made of them this season, but in recent kind of performances, they've they don't necessarily look as maybe as sturdy as they once did. And you kind of begin to question whether or not they can just see this out because, I mean, between fifth to fifth to third is is as close as it gets. So, um, and I think West Ham are riding this massive wave of of momentum and um. So it's certainly been an interesting one. I think I think West Ham will kind of feel slightly more up for it, having you know with the run that they're on, and then Leicester coming off the back of a Man City defeat as well. It'll be tough for themselves to get going. So um, certainly be one of definitely is one of the biggest games of the weekend. In between, well, I should say, in between the two Premier League weekends, after last weekend, before this weekend. Of course, we got the Champions League coming back and we really are in the business end now. No more sort of easy fixtures. Well, there might be one with relates to Chelsea and we'll get the thoughts of uh, Crosby and Dylan in a moment. But first, uh, we're going to give the stage to uh, Bradley Sue, who's um, kindly sent in his thoughts from China. So here's, what, here's Bradley's take on the Champions League quarterfinals. For Real Madrid versus Liverpool, this is a repeat of the 2018 Champions League final. Several classic scenes in that game are still being talked 
about by fans due to leaving the team or being injured. Some key players in that game can no longer be seen in the game tonight. The situation of the two teams this season is somewhat similar, especially the large-scale injuries early in the season. However, the two teams have been in good shape recently. Liverpool have won four consecutive away games, while Real Madrid have even won nine wins and two draws in the last eleven games to remain unbeaten. For tonight's game, I think it's crucial for both sides to grasp the rhythm of the game and give play to their own advantages. There are many wounded in the defensive line of both teams, so the state of Benzema and Diogo Jota may be a key factor in the game. It's worth mentioning that Real Madrid will also play El Clasico in La Liga this weekend, so seeking a balance between La Liga and the Champions League is very important for the team. Anyway, I predict、um, Real Madrid will be unbeaten in this game. For another game tonight, ah,、uh, the recent state of Manchester City and Dortmund is very different, but the transfer rumors of Erling Haaland. Make this team also quite interesting. Manchester City are currently the favorites to win the Premier League and the Champions League. I think if they can play normally at home tonight, the probability of winning should be high. But for Dortmund, the team has been in poor form recently, and Jadon Sancho will not be able to play in this series. But if Haaland and the defenders can play really well, we may see a wonderful confrontation tonight. Ah.、Uh, For tomorrow night, Bayern Munich will play PSG. The opponents of last year's Champions League final will meet again in the quarterfinals this year. But this battle seems to have been affected by injuries and the pandemic. Lewandowski can't play in this series due to knee injury. Valverde and Florenzi will also miss the game because they are tested positive for coronavirus. I think the win of the two teams will be the key to the game. For Alfonso Davies, Neymar can focus their energy on this series of Champions League, and the performance of other winners,、uh, for example from Mbappe and Coleman, is also very important. I predict that will be, for Bayern Munich, will be undefeated tomorrow night, but the suspense of this series will remain until the second leg. For another game tomorrow night. For Porto and Chelsea, so for most football fans, think the result of a draw is the、um, best for Chelsea. But I will say Juventus also had this idea at the time after the draw of round of sixteen. But look at the results. So Porto is a very tenacious team. Although Chelsea have a high probability of qualifying for the semi-finals, I predict their road to promotion will not be easy. And、uh, thanks again to Bradley for sending that in. So,、uh, Crosby, it is quite interesting this、um, Real Madrid Liverpool game, and it just got even more interesting. Rafael Varane.、Uh, this news broke just before we came on air. Varane pulling out of the game with a positive COVID test, and that is a bit worrying. If one player on the Real Madrid team does have COVID, what's to say that 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 a lot of the that a lot of players have it as well? That that could be, that could be、um, something to worry about. So then we'll we'll work. We'll move ahead in the assumption that the game is going ahead, but that is a bit of cause for concern. And then you got City Dortmund as well.、Um, it's it's a real test this for 
for for both teams, particularly particularly um, Dortmund because it's the first time that Erling Haaland's going to have this massive stage where pretty much the eyes of the world will be on him. So two really interesting games for the two English teams tonight. Yeah, I think definitely it's it's um, probably one of the biggest tests Haaland will have, like based on you know the the kind of the size of the occasion and particularly the opposition. But I also I think it's this could be the first major test for John Stones and Ruben Diaz. I I think John you know, like a lot has been made of this partnership and uh, rightly so. Like they've they've really formed a solid spine there for City. But I I don't feel like they've ever truly been kind of gotten at by someone. I feel like, you know, you watch them, there's a lot of time on the ball and stuff and I they have a lot of time on the ball and they're not really pressed as much. And I definitely think from a physical side, particularly Stones, could be exploited by Haaland. So it's it's a huge test for both, I think. Um, but certainly far more for Dortmund as a whole. I mean, obviously going in as the underdog and Haaland kind of carrying that team on his back nearly. Um, and as for the Madrid Liverpool games, probably slightly more even than the um, City Dortmund one, but certainly Rafael Varane missing is a huge loss to um, Madrid. And this is a Madrid side that, well, they're in transition like this. This Madrid are still in rebuilding after the team that won three on the bounce and stuff like that. So it's not the same kind of Madrid side we're used to. It's not the same kind of pedigree. And it's not it, it's not really been the same kind of Liverpool side this year either, but certainly they've kind of managed to remain consistent in Europe this year. And I think there's there's a strange kind of feeling of like if they can get past Madrid, which which I think seems quite likely, there's a good chance they could just kind of go on a run here and it could be very like 2005-esque for them. Um, so I certainly think it, it's quite surprising a little bit maybe. Certainly Liverpool, I think, will be favoured far more heavily than Madrid for tonight's game. And then looking ahead to tomorrow, uh, Dylan, the repeat of last year's final, of course, Bayern Munich versus PSG. And then you got Porto Chelsea as well, which this is a this is a real chance for Chelsea to to really go at this this tie because it 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 does seem like the most winnable tie of the four. Um, I do feel quite bad that 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 Frank Lampard isn't around for this. I I I've made my feelings clear that he probably didn't really deserve to be sacked. But this is it's the way it is, and it's it's a really good opportunity for this Chelsea team to really really put themselves forward on a big stage and give themselves the, the chance to gain some big match experience in a potential semi final, and of course. Bayern Munich PSG with all the stars on that pitch, that game's always going to be fascinating. Never mind the fact that it's a replay of the final from last year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lampard, of course, I'd say will be good to be missing out on on this fixture. The fixture of Porto and Chelsea is is one that is appealing. I'm sure not only to to fans but to to managers in itself. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I feel like Chelsea will, will want to have a real go at this one, particularly off the back of the defeat that they suffered at the weekend. They have a lot to prove to themselves now coming into this. Um, I think you'll see a lot of aggression from Chelsea straight out the gate, um, which will suit Porto down to the ground perfectly. You know, you kind of have that venomous style of Portuguese football that always makes, you know, Portuguese teams in the Champions League uh, incredibly entertaining to watch. They never give people a, a good... A good uh, 
a, a walk over in a sense. Um, and then, of course, as well, you have the uh, repeat of last year's final, as you mentioned, uh, Bayern and PSG. That fixture is 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 fascinating for so many reasons. You know, you have two titans of of their respective leagues uh, coming to a clash so early in 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 the fixture list. Uh, is is very interesting in comparison to last season. You know, it, it makes sense for this game to be a final, but to see it as a quarterfinal is is a whole different gravy, and I, I can't really, I really can't wait to see how that one unfolds. Uh, personally, I don't see anyone topping Bayern Munich this season again. I think that the outfit that they have is so strong, and um, I think PSG will will give it a good go. But I I, I think they will progress to the semifinals and and no matter who they come up against, I think they have a strong chance of going on to the finals as well. Um, Chelsea, I think, have a lot to prove to themselves. I think they will be looking to to kind of silence a few people in, in this semi-final as well. Um, Porto will give them a good run. I, I have no doubt that the games will be entertaining to watch at the very least, um, but I, I can't see Chelsea not making it to the semi-final based off of this draw. Um, I think also as well, to just touch on tonight's games as well, those are really interesting fixtures. Um, I think particularly City and Dortmund is is one to pay close attention to, and I say that as a Liverpool fan. Um, I think you know City City have a lot of uh, outfit changes that they, as Crosby mentioned, that they're looking to kind of see the benefit of tonight. Um, I think as well to see Haaland uh, play at City uh, will be an incredible experience. You know, you you often see these highlight reels labeled on YouTube and Twitter as like audition tapes just before people move to. Uh, move to the, the club that they're playing against. And I think this is exactly what Haaland will, will go with in, in, in with a mindset of tonight. You know, not only is in is it an audition tape to, to, to City itself, but also to any clubs that may be watching on my field because Dortmund are seen as the underdogs in this tie. And, and you know, he is, as Crosby said, a lot of the time uh, carrying the team on his back. So I think he has a lot to prove in, in tonight's game as well. Um, so whether it's an audition tape for, for City or whether it's an audition tape for the Premier League, I, I have no doubt that uh, Erling Haaland will bring his A game tonight and I'm very excited to see how that unfolds. Uh, with Real and Liverpool, I think there's a lot of promising signs from, from a Liverpool fan's perspective in, in you know, kind of evening the playing fields a, a little bit. We, we can't lie to ourselves and say that, you know, at any given point in the season, Liverpool could take on a Real team. I think it, it has to fall at the right moment for us. And I think at the minute it is, um, you know, we're kind of coming out of, of, of a slow run of form. We're, we're seeing promising uh, performances from, from so many people in the team at the minute. Um, and also, you know, a couple of injuries to the Real squad and, and, and COVID cases sure won't uh, not help us in this instance as well. So I'm excited as a Liverpool fan for tonight's game, which isn't something that I thought I'd be able to say as well. Um, I think all of the fixtures this weekend or, or this week, sorry, are, are going to be ones to watch. Um, but I really want to just put particular highlight and attention on the the audition that's about to occur at City and Dortmund. Exciting stuff as the latter end of the Champions League always is. Uh, and the we're talking about the biggest event in um, the football calendar, that being the biggest competition rather in the football calendar, that being the Champions League. Um, the biggest event in the golf calendar is coming up this week. Um, the Masters is back. It's come around the quickest it ever has from the last one, because the last one, I think, was in November time. But, you know, really looking forward to it. Rory McIlroy continuing his seemingly never-ending quest for the one major title that's eluded him. 10 years on, it's been 10 years since his 
His epic implosion in the back on the back nine of day four um, held a four-shot lead, I think it was, ended up with a final round of 80, finished way down the leaderboard. That was 10 years ago. And he's back again from another bite of the cherry. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau is, uh, is a big favorite as well. That massive driver of the ball built like a built like a prop forward. And um, the world number one, Dustin Johnson, looking for back-to-back titles. And speaking of back-to-back, it, in a way, these this Masters kind of exists back-to-back from the most recent one. Obviously, last year's Masters was scheduled to take place in April, as it always is. But that came at the very beginning of this pandemic. And it was one of the first... A lot of stuff was cancelled around that time, for sure. But the Masters was one of the first big things that I remember to be cancelled. And then it was a, it was a real... Um, indicator of oh wow this is real um which it, it, it was it was a massive deal at the time even though looking back on it now it um it seems like it was it was inevitable that it, it should be cancelled and i think the fact that we're only four or five months removed from the most recent masters will serve as um serve as a bit of a a cushion, a, a good thing for a lot of these players because normally you go a, a full year between Masters tournaments and opportunities to play at Augusta. But because it's um it's a much more fresh and much more recent memory of playing on these courses, I think people might be a little bit more aware of some of the pitfalls and the traps that could be waiting for them on on some of the some of the trickier holes and i think this is going to be a really exciting and fascinating masters i think it's going to be really competitive really high scoring and of course this time next week we'll know how it all turns out we'll know who what and we'll be discussing that right here on action replay but we're gonna finish off this week with um Another big sporting event that took place in America. In fact, it's been taking place over the last month, and that is the uh, the college basketball tournament uh, known uh, colloquially as, as March Madness. Um, it's where all the best college basketball teams come in uh, to this one enormous 64-team bracket and play for ultimate glory. It wrapped up last night with the uh, the Baylor Bears. I, I can't quite remember where Baylor is, but I know where um, Gonzaga is, the team they beat. Um, Gonzaga University from Spokane, Washington. Gonzaga were aiming for history, the, becoming the first team in at least 20, 30 years to go an entire college basketball season undefeated. Last night they came in with 31 wins from 31 games. Had a ridiculous um, semi-final against UCLA, who were a real dark horse. Uh, sank uh, uh, the first buzzer beater since in a semi-final since the seventies to get to the final. Absolutely unbelievable scenes, as one might say in Black Rock. But the entire tournament itself, this was the first time that I really got to observe March Madness for what it was, because the tournament was cancelled last year. Um, again, it was another of the first big things to be called off amidst 
COVID and the, particularly the first couple of rounds of the tournament is just an absolute adrenaline rush because there's three, four games going on at any one time. But, um, it was on the BT Sport ESPN channel and it was just bouncing back and forth between all these games and it was just this massive rush of of content and being someone that loves tournaments growing up with the world cup and just being absolutely giddy with the fact that there were three games on every single day this was pretty pretty much pretty much a gold mine and i can understand now dylan why this is such a massive deal in american sports so much money is put into it so much attention Filling out your bracket has become a hobby, even amongst non-sports fans. And it's just this massive commercial enterprise. It's like a, it's like a sugar rush of sporting content. And it's, it's really something to behold. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as an NFL fan, who's, who's who, a new formed NFL fan, shall I say as well, uh, who's kind of missing that uh, red zone that you'd get on Sunday night. Um, of you know all the different you'd have eight or nine games happening at once I think March Madness is definitely a great way to kind of uh, revisit that American broadcasting sense of everything is happening right now and it's all happening at once and it's crazy Um, yeah no it, it, it happens at an incredible time of year as well I think it falls quite nicely in that you know the first few games uh, occur during the NBA break too so uh, some of the players take time out and they actually go to watch in, in a usual season or they get to watch from home uh, like this season as uh, some of the up-and-coming players as well and um, I think it's really cool to see you know somebody the NBA players some of the old dogs in the NBA uh, reaching out to these young guys who they see perform well in March Madness uh, whether it be on Twitter or Instagram I think it was Dwayne Wade uh, tweeted the guy who hit that buzzer beater in the Gonzaga game the other day um, you know basically giving them props for what he did um, and, and the guy lost his mind which is really cool so I think it, it's a really cool thing as a basketball fan to to see unfold um, I'm not following it too closely this year to be honest uh, there's an overload of sport in my life right now um, but it is always entertaining to watch and, and see happen and yeah I think what you said as well about Gonzaga I think they were tipped by a lot of people to be the favorites to win and so yeah the, the the madness lives up to its name this year 100 i think dylan as you should know as a former uh action re- as an action replay alumnus you can never have too much sport in your life <laughs> that's what we True. strive to achieve here on action replay but uh we we'd love to talk about all the sport we can but we have a set window of time uh, each week and unfortunately we've come to the end of it this week but we'll be sharing the sporting love on next Friday's DCUFM broadcast we are we will be on at 5 p.m on that Friday I think it's the 16th of April exactly 10 days from now but we won't be alone we'll be collaborating with the other sports show on DCUFM Offside Opinions if you want to get a, a flavor of them, you can check them out. You can search Offside Opinions on Spotify. You can check out their entire back catalog. If you search DCUFM on Spotify, you can get our entire back catalog. And if you search Formula Stank on Spotify, you can get Formula Stank's entire back catalog with Dylan Mangan and uh, Kohl O'Rourke as well. They, are, they talk all things F1. Dylan, it was brilliant to have you on today. And uh, welcome back to Action Replay. 
Oh, fantastic to be back so much, Sean. Really appreciate being on again. And yeah, form the stank on all forms of social media and on Spotify at your own peril. Our social medias are on screen right there. Twitter and Instagram are at DCUFM Sport. And we'll be back here next sun next next Sunday, not next Sunday, next Tuesday, uh 1 p.m. twitch.tv slash DCUFM. I've been Sean Breslin. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.